Hey, do you know of a, uh, a podcast I could listen to that has nerd and comic books and stuff? I really can't find one. I say, you ever heard of the Nerd Dumb Podcast? Quickly, I want to dedicate this panel to Jeff Rice because he and I would chat about Jessica Jones all the time. <laughs> and this was back before you know anybody else had read it, um, so I had no one else to talk about. Jessica Jones hipster. Jessica Jones hipster. I am. I'm not sorry about it at all. Um, so Jessica Jones, who here has read the comic book Alias? I'm going to tell you: do yourselves a favor and read yeah, it. Just a note, though, if you try and get it on the floor, they're, like, gone. They're gone. Um, I started reading Alias back uh, a couple years ago, and it was no longer in production. And so I'd finished the first trade, and I had to go um, through means to find the rest of the issues. Um, and then, of course, uh, they announced they were making the show and started producing the issues again. Or the trade issues, at least. Um, Jessica Jones initially ran, uh, I have it written down, let's see, from 2001 to 2004 for 28 issues, written by Brian Michael Bendis and art by Michael Gatos. Um, and it's essentially that's about Jessica Jones, former Avenger, um, turned private eye. So in this panel, I kind of want to talk about um, the differences between the Netflix show, Jessica Jones, and the comic book Alias. Um, but first, I want to kind of shoot it on down the table and have you guys introduce yourself starting here on my right. Um, I'm Michelle Whitty. I'm a literary agent. Um, I live here in Utah, though the agency is based in New York. I do children's books, uh, young adult picture books, all that fun stuff. Hi, guys. My name is Courtney Alameda. I was introduced myself as the most socially awkward person on the panel. Hi. <laughs> um, I am a YA horror writer. My first novel, Shudder, was just recently um, nominated for a Bram Stoker Award, which I'm super excited about. And um, thank you. That's very kind of you. And um, I've got a bunch of projects that are currently under contract at both Macmillan and HarperCollins and am on the cusp of getting into comics, so I'm super psyched about that. You're way more hyperactive than I am. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Charles Nerd Storson. I own the Nerd Store, and I'm a co-host of the Nerd Dome Podcast. I'm Luke Huntaker. I am the host of the Nerd Dome Podcast. I'm Caitlin Booth. I'm a film critic for WatchPlayRead.com and another co-host of the Nerd Dome Podcast. Three of us. And I'm Rebecca Frost. I'm a panelist on the Hello Sweetie podcast. Uh, so, yeah. I also write for BigShineRobot.com, and you can check out my website, GeekyRealEstate.com. Um, so I would like to ask the panelists, who here has read Alias the Comics? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. I tried to find him today. <laughs> I'm awful at my job. <laughs> you own the nerd store. I'm honest about it now. I, I read like half of it. I haven't finished it. Okay. <laughs> it's a very short run. Um, Being prepared. So then I would like to start um, by talking about Jessica on screen versus Jessica in the comics. Um, what was your guys' initial reaction when they cast Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones? I get... Uh, when I first heard about it, uh, I had to go back. It took me a second to remember who she was, and I was like, oh, okay. And it, it basically came down to, I don't think Marvel has cast anything horrible. So I was I was okay with it. I'm like, they, they obviously, you know, vetted her, put her through everything, and she was the best candidate, so. I was fine with it. Um, I had watched some of the Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, which is an awesome show, and... Uh, while I haven't watched Breaking Bad, I have heard that she was absolutely amazing in it. So, and like I, like Luke said, they haven't really missed when it comes to casting yet, so why not? Um, for me, I actually came to the comic backwards. I saw the show, and it was one of the first Marvel properties I actually interacted with, um, and just fell in love with her. She was charismatic and dark and gritty, and that was the hero I always wanted to see out of Marvel. So I came to the comic, read the comic, because of the television show. And for, so for me, I thought it was fantastic. But One thing that's interesting is she will always be, to me, um, the girl on Veronica Mars. And the, <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, the similarities between those two shows are so strong. The dialogue, the you know, the noir, the private detective type stuff. So it's sort of fitting, like almost full circle type thing. Um, I will say I was a little um, hesitant at first because she is so little and frail and cute, oh, and Jessica yeah. Jones is not little and cute and frail. Um, and the way, so um, want to talk about a little bit how they handle her origin story um, in the TV show because in the comic books, her origin story is her family is killed while they are on their way to Disneyland. Um, same, kind of the same, uh, kind of the, she gets her powers kind of the same way a lot of, like Daredevil did, you know, um, they crash into a truck carrying a bunch of radioactive gook, and uh, she discovers she has uh, superpowers afterwards. Um, she can fly, has super strength, it can, in the show she jumps really high. Um, where, however, in the show, um, in that car crash, she is experimented on um, by some government agency. I want to know if any of you guys know a little bit more about that government agency and maybe how it interacts with like, the Netflix Marvel Universe. Well, one thing that I got the impression from, from the show at least, is that they're trying to put that group behind all of the um, superheroes that were created um, experimentation rather than just an accident with strange goop. <laughs> yeah. so it like, makes more sense yeah. that you don't die from radiation you're actually experimented on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, going kind of back with the uh, origin story, one thing that I really liked from the comics that I know they can't do with the, uh, with the show, with the rights and everything, but I, I really liked that uh, she was the nerd that had a crush on Peter Parker <laughs> when they were in school together, and Peter Parker was the nerd. And I, I, I really liked that, I really enjoyed that, and uh, when... Uh, I can't remember what issue it is, but after uh, her family died and then Peter comes up to her to like, you know, talk to her to be like, hey, I know how it is, and she totally just blows him off. And she's like, oh, now you want to pay attention to me. I, I would have loved to see that in the show. Again, I know they can't with the Spider-Man stuff, but yeah. 
Um, and I am curious to know what you guys thought about, because um, in the show, she they express a lot that she suffers from PTSD while, out, while not necessarily outright saying she deals with PTSD. And she has um, common, like, common techniques to help her, you know, settle down from flashbacks or whatever. Um, but in the comic book, same way, she's an alcoholic. Um, and I was curious to know, like, how you guys viewed her representation of PTSD and how the writers kind of handled that within the show. So I got to talk about this a bit at the Defenders panel yesterday. I have a good friend online who is a rape survivor and an abuse survivor. And um, she said she was thinking about what she was uh, talking, I was talking about Jessica Jones. And um, I mentioned, I was like, you know, it's pretty intense. It might be kind of triggery for you. And she's like, no, I watched the whole thing. It was amazing. I don't like comic book stuff. I, and she couldn't make it through two episodes of Daredevil. That's how not into this yeah. stuff she is. So it's resonating with people. It It is definitely pulling in an audience that is very, being an abuse survivor, it feels very isolating. And I feel like the show did a really good job of showing people that, yeah, it's isolating, but you know, there are also people still around you who can help you get through that. And I really like the fact that they went all the way and said that Kilgrave raped her. I was not expecting them to actually use the R word at all. Yeah, I thought it was really marvelously well done. Actually, while I was watching it, I was texting my boyfriend and saying, I'm not sure I can keep watching this because it was very triggering for me. But at the same time, Jessica is such an empowering character. We so very rarely see women in the media dealing with issues that are very realistic to very many women on this planet because, you know, I mean, that's like the old Louis C.K. joke, right? You know, what's the most dangerous thing on the planet? It's, you know, women men. <laughs> Seriously, that's the most dangerous thing. So um, I just, I really thought they did a marvelous job with her character because it felt very realistic, the whole mnemonic of reciting her childhood streets. She had something that she'd fall back upon. Um, and the flashbacks as she's walking down like the street and just remembering things like that is, that is a very real to life reaction when you've gone through something that's very traumatic. So I thought it was fantastic. Well, and one thing I uh, saw some people, uh, a discussion on an article about Jessica Jones afterward and about the whole, you know, the um, basically the rape, the um, sexual assault, all of those things. And there was one man that commented and said, after watching this show, this is the first time I really understand what women go through. And I was like, if the show does nothing else other than that, it has been a success. Um, because he could see, and I think part of it was the mind control thing that helped bridge the gap where you know like a lot of men when they hear about sexual assault those kind of things you know men experience it too but for the most part women it's something they cope with and don't get support for and so for you know the mind control aspect how he controlled like the father with the baby like that one just really got me where he made them leave his leave his son on the side of the street it just that one tore me apart and so i think for some people they're finally getting it and that is just so powerful so then let it, let's do move on to the show's villain, um, Zebediah Kilgrave, played by David Tennant. Um, so my question is, best villain ever or greatest villain ever? We're <laughs> <laughs> getting us on semantics here. <laughs> Honestly, I think if it wasn't David Tennant, it would not have been nearly as amazing. They might have found a great actor, but there's something he brought to that that was so... I mean, just the narcissism where he honestly could not understand what yeah. other people felt. And that's, um, well, not, not a, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a, like a lack of empathy. Yeah. yeah, there's a, there's an emotional disorder, or, um, mental disorder, I can't remember what it's called. It's not quite, 
um, the autism, but it's where you can't actually sense, it's sociopathic, I guess yeah. is the best way to say it. You actually can't understand why people feel upset about things. And so in some ways it wasn't necessarily his fault, but he didn't have to become evil either. Um, for me, I think his finest moment as a, as a villain was when he, Jessica had come to her childhood home that he had redecorated for her. And um, they were having this conversation about his origin, and he you know, was starting to talk about what his parents had done to him. And he was literally blaming his, you know, his actions on other people. It's like, this is not my problem. I didn't have parents. They weren't there to raise me. And because for me, the show is so much about responsibility and what we do with the powers that we're given or the abilities that we're given, he is the perfect, perfect villain for her because um, he's like, it wasn't me, it's not my problem. I just use words and it's not my fault if people like, have to do what I tell them to do. So um, that was the moment when he was at his most chilling for me. And I also told um, my boyfriend a couple days ago, I'm like, he is like the embodiment of white male privilege because, <laughs> because he thinks, you know, it's not hate, it's not my fault. I can say what I want, but it's not my fault. I, I like how they, uh, I, it was the, the episode when uh, she was trying to convince him to do good yeah. And they went. They broke into the house, and he told the guy to, you know, put the gun to your head and pull the trigger. And she's like, no. And later on, he's like, that, honestly, that's what I thought the correct thing yes. to do would, would be: shoot him in the head. It's so funny during that episode. I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna get a Kilgrave and Jessica saving the day. We're gonna get like a cool new buddy cop show. And I was almost excited because he is a villain you want to root for in some twisted way, like just yes. because he's so charismatic, but just. He sells it so well to the point where you want him to turn good because you want to be able to root for him. But at the same time, him killing her turning good would have required Jessica to sacrifice herself mm -hmm. and do the thing that women often do, at least stereotypically in media, which is to try to save the man or and or fix him. Because she's, she even says that too. She's like, I can turn him good. It, I would dedicate my life to right. it. I was so glad to see that she didn't. I was like, yes. Yeah, one, one thing that I, I've really liked with the, the Netflix in general is how well they uh, portray the bad, the, the villains, but you know, between Tenet and uh, Wilson Fisk in uh, Daredevil. They, and I always see him as two different kind of threats where Wilson Fisk will slam your head in the door until your brain falls out. <laughs> but David Tennant will tell you to do it. And you go do it yourself. Well, I hope David Tennant wouldn't tell me to do that. <laughs> For me, um, Kilgrave is the embodiment of, of. Does anyone here watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yes. Okay, great show. Andy Samberg's character has an awesome moment in that show where a guy says he killed somebody for love, and he turns around and he goes, cool motive, still murder. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, I use that gif in so many contexts now because, you know, when people try to justify a villain's action, it's like, yeah, okay, cool motive, still murder. And I did that a lot, especially during Daredevil season two. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Kilgrave is another example, you know. Yeah, you might not have put the trigger to somebody's head, but, you know, you're still responsible. Yeah, that's, that's so. the thing about Kilgrave, too, is he just loves her so much. <laughs> well, that's the, it, I wouldn't call it necessarily love. He thinks it's love, but it's obsession. And that's it's, yeah, honestly, like, I thought about that a lot when I was watching it and how he proclaimed that he loved her. He just wanted to control her. I was on the Labyrinth panel yesterday, and it's sort of similar, you know, where they... The men, they wanted to control the women. They tell them all these great things. I will let you do anything you want as long as you do exactly what I tell you to. And with 
you know, Kilgrave, obviously, you have to do basically what he tells you to do, so. So I'm going to go a little bit against the panel here. Go for it. But the actor and the way that it was portrayed and things in the show, it was amazing, and he is my second favorite uh, Marvel, current Marvel villain. For your first? Cinematic. Wilson Fisk. Okay. Hands down, Wilson Fisk. Mm -hmm. um, Vincent D'Onofrio, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He is, he's born to play that role. But uh, no, I mean, I mean, I loved the acting job. And again, if it wasn't, if it was anybody but David Tennant, I don't think I would have liked the character near as much. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know anyone that you can beat by putting in earphones or cutting out his tongue, <laughs> and it's not that great of a villain overall. Right. Um, one thing I'd say about Fisk though is he's not quite as sociopathic as um, Kilgrave, but he thinks he's doing good. Which is what makes the best villains. And yeah, that, Kilgrave thinks he's even, doing good too. That's even scarier though, because it's sort of, you know, not to bring in politics, but sort of like that Trump mentality. I'm fixing this for you guys, but they'll do anything to do that, and they don't care about the people they hurt. Yeah, the ends just by the means. So Luke, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about Kilgrave's history. Because he does show up in Daredevil initially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like Daredevil? Man, it's been a while. Because all, all that's really ever explained in the Alias comic books, because um, Kilgrave doesn't show up until like maybe the last third of the run, um, that he just straight up hates Daredevil. Yeah. Hates Daredevil. Daredevil. Never really explained, but he absolutely hates Daredevil. And he has um, Jessica, who, as um, an Avenger, goes under the name Jewel. Has her under his control, and the so the thing, the different thing between the TV show and the comic books is in the comic books, um, at least it's my understanding, Kilgrave never rapes her. No, no, he uh, in the in the comics it's more of uh, he made her stand in the corner and watch while he was doing that to other people, but and made, then made her, her back made her for want it. made her want to do it, but which is she couldn't, but he never her. did, which is just another. Even worse kind of torture. <laughs> but anyway, um, but the whole point in the comic books is um, he hates Daredevil so much that now he has an Avenger under his control that he gets so fed up and he's like, Jessica, go kill Daredevil. And she's like, okay. And so she flies to the Avengers Tower, and as the Avengers are returning from a trip, um, she mistakenly punches out Scarlet Witch, thinking that she's Daredevil. Which is uh, which is great because it was like right after the the Avengers and the Defenders just got back from a mission where uh, I can't remember one of the one of their main roster characters was really injured, so they were already like emotionally charged, and then Vision watches her come fly out of nowhere, and, and the Avengers get in the face. pissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also because she is far enough away from his powers that it kind of wears off, and she's like mid punch, like, oh no. But like, like I said in the comics, his history is like never really explained. So I was hoping that you knew a little bit more. I'm I'm trying to remember. It's been so long since I I read it that I think the last thing I read with him was the more current run of him showing up in the Mark Wade uh, Daredevil when he was out in San Francisco, and that was a uh, they they hint at the history there. He he is an old old Daredevil villain that you know they just run into a lot and a lot. And uh, I actually think McCord back there. <laughs> <laughs> To remember most of that stuff, um, <laughs> but in the in the more <laughs> you want to, um, 
but the, the, in the more recent stuff, uh, uh, Kilgrave had gone around and basically tricked a bunch of women into sleeping with him, so he would have a bunch of little purple man children running around, and he's just going around and collecting them <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, because he, he's never had love. That was the thing that he was, because he could always make someone love him, but he never actually had it. So we thought, I'll just make kids. That'll, that'll, that'll solve it. <laughs> you know, like most relationships. <laughs> well, one thing that I found most chilling about it was Hope with her pregnancy. Like, she wanted to do anything to get that out of her. And I can totally understand, and that's why, I don't know, it keeps tying to politics for some reason for me, that, you know, women should have that option because, you know, when their bodies are violated, I don't know, it, that one really struck me as just horrible. Like, what she would have had to do if she had to raise that child, and he turned out similar to Kilgrave if he had that same ability, which we find out, you know, when they take the fetus and do really bad stuff to it and it enhances powers, basically. When you talk about the show, like it sounds a lot worse. Like it sounds. It sounds <laughs> like yeah, it's one of the best shows. Well, no, and the thing is that really, it's such a powerful show because it really hits on truths. And so, if someone hasn't seen it, I would really recommend just seeing it because there's so much in it that really, like, it's one of my favorite shows of the past, I don't even know how many years, because there's just so much in it that is very powerful. It's very if you're hesitant to watch it, make sure you at least get through the first episode, because the scene at the end of the pilot just made me lose my freaking mind. That was such a good scene. Yeah, I think episodes uh, 9 and 10 were the two most stressful hours of my life. <laughs> one, th one thing I really enjoyed uh, about the characters in that show was, was the friendship between Jessica and Trish. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that's my next uh, lead-in. Right? I got you. Um, good job, Luke. My favorite way to start a sentence in the comic books. Um, <laughs> um, Jessica is best friends with Carol Danvers, who is Ms. Marvel. Um, couldn't necessarily do that for the TV show. Um, so instead what they do is they replace Carol Danvers with Trish Walker, also known in the Marvel Universe as Hellcat. Um, and I think that was a terrific choice because um, Carol Danvers as an Avenger is kind of a celebrity and Jessica has to deal with her celebrity friend Carol Danvers and she kind of has that same relationship with Trish Walker in the TV show because Trish Walker is a radio show host and has been a child star. Um, and is her sister, essentially. Um, so if you guys want to touch a little bit more on their relationship, you know. Oh, their friendship gave me life. Yeah. <laughs> I loved every second of it. And I really like how it's basically given Patsy a resurgence. She has her own series again. And Patsy was practically unknown before now. Yeah, go see Kate Left downstairs. She writes Hellcat. Yeah. Well, and one of the creators of the Alias uh, comic books, he said on Twitter, someone asked him what he thought about that switch out, and he said, that's brilliant. It's one of the best decisions they could have made, because Carol just wasn't as strong in this. And, you know, seeing that, he's like, they, they were brilliant on it. Um, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite moments between um, Trish and Jessica is when Jessica has just come over, and Trish and Simpson, the cop's name is Simpson, right? Yes. Okay, I wanted to make sure I had the right name. Um, are just kind of, you know, have had their little uh, TNT. And um, <laughs> Jessica's like, what the heck is going on? You know, and, just, and Trish is like, don't even worry about it. 
But it's when, it's when Simpson challenges Trish and said, I don't want you going and driving that getaway car. And Trish is like, you don't get to tell me what to do. And Jessica's like, you don't get to tell her what to do. I'm like, that is exactly what it's like. That's what female friendship is like. Um, it's not just ganging up against men, but it's having each other's backs and it's not catty. And I just really loved the way they represented those two on, on film. I thought it was fantastic. Well, they even, um, just when they talk, you know, when she, Jessica called her, said, you're like your mother. She said, no, I'm not. And they can have that, back. they've known each other so long that they know more about the other person than that person knows about themselves. And they know how they're going to react. And they know just, you know, the very essence of that person. And those are the friendships that are just so amazing. Well, and Jessica has hurt Trish so many times. But Trish never leaves. And she still forgives. Because they're sisters. One of my uh, one of my favorite things about the their friendship was the and especially the switch out was the fact that the Patsy kind of started to fend for herself and she went out and she was the one that yeah. was kind of protecting Jessica in many situations and it's a lot more powerful when it's a human and not someone powered you know just some normal person out there trying to protect her powered friend whereas when it's Carol Carol's got powers so it's a powered person trying to protect a powered person and it's not quite the same. You know, Patsy's putting herself on the line a lot more than Carol ever would have. And Carol never really takes the time for her. She yeah. kind of takes the time for her, like through the phone. But other than that, Trish is always there. Trish is there at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And Trish, you know, just the taking those lessons so she could defend herself and help her friend, that just, you know, it does shows the strength of character and determination. Another panel I was on yesterday, we were talking about all that stuff, and so it really came to mind that you know, like, she is a strong character, even though she's not physically as strong as Jessica, she's just as emotionally and just her presence of mind. And she's got that great character arc, too, because when they actually do try to kidnap Kilgrave, and she's, you know, gets knocked out with one hit, you know, you see that grief that I failed you guys, and I want to be strong, and I want to be an active member of this, of this group, but... Ugh, but I messed up, you know, and it just, I love to see her grow throughout the whole series. Uh, they did a really good job with her arc. Yeah, even, even to the point when, uh, when he escapes his little cell and he tells her to put a bullet in her head yes. and she has to come cool. back, she's like, just put, put it in your head. Look, it's in your head. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're all right. Um, but kind of going back to, uh, the, the, the comics with Carol, I, I love that in the comics she sets Jessica up with Scott Lang. <laughs> you would. <laughs> and uh, I would have loved to see that interaction with Paul Rudd and her. <laughs> she would have been like, really, Baskin Robbins? Okay. Well, so, uh, well, so speaking that would of some total whiplash. <laughs> speaking of love interests, um, want to talk a little bit about Luke Cage? Sweet Christmas. Sweet Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Ladies in the room. <laughs> um, Luke Cage, great character, loved him. Um, I thought he was a great addition to the show. Um, my biggest question about that, though, is Luke Cage is getting his own show. And because he is so prominent in Jessica's life and in the comic books, they get married and they have a baby together. Um, how fair is it to the Jessica Jones show that Luke Cage is featured so prominently in her show when he is getting his own? Well, she's going to probably show up in his. I think it's just, you know, even with the, I can't remember what the group is, but they're planning a TV show with the whole group of them, and then each character gets their own show, and they're planning already to do a second season of Jessica Jones. So I think it's more going to be that they're just all interacting in this world, and she will, I imagine, well, I think they're going to, are they doing his, his origin story first? Couldn't tell you. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, I think that, uh, 
because he kind of talks about it a little bit in like episode two or something like that where he just eh, experiments so I bet they do go and touch on it even if it's just flashback stuff but even from that little that little teaser at the uh, end of season two of Daredevil like it seems like it's gonna be a his own his own story but I, I feel like they should bring in not only Jessica but it'd be nice if there was a <laughs> if there was a what Luke? if there was a if there was uh, Danny Rand yeah. Oh, sure. Because yeah. those, those two. I thought you were going to go there that one. Usually, usually that's where it goes. But no, I, I, I would like to see because they they tease a little bit also in Jessica Jones with uh, Claire and Luke Cage too, and I more Claire and everything is yes, is better. More <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd like to I'd like to see her maybe even in the in the Luke Cage. As well, Claire, Luke Cage. Yes, Claire, Claire yeah. and Jessica. I'd like to see both of them featured, you know, fairly heavily. You, you likely will at least towards the end of the season. I don't know that it'd be. I think at the beginning of the season you'll probably see Luke Cage by himself, but towards the end of the season you'll you'll get Jessica back, especially since at the end of Jessica Jones he kind of took off. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be a little bit. How many that, episodes but. was Luke actually in during the first season? I feel like five. it was. Yeah, it was. Four it, was it was four or five. So it was less than the entire, less than half of the entire season. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if Jessica shows up for you know two, three, four episodes, that would work probably just fine. One. But uh, Claire definitely has a bigger role in Luke Cage because there have been a lot of set photos of her out. Yes. And well, and from what I've read from the producers um, and the creators of all these, you know, because each show has their own creator. Um, the one for Jessica Jones is a woman, which for me at least, I think that's one of the most important things about it, how they got the story right was because it was a woman writing it and, or, and basically creating it. But from what I've read from all the different articles and discussing it, there are strong hints that they're all going to be interacting in each other's shows. So I don't think it's necessarily that one is going to be better, you know, like one character is going to be better than the other. I think they're sort of equally unequal, you know, like each have their own strength, but they're going to interact. And, and regarding the fairness of whether or not Luke Cage is in her show, I, I think if you if you have a show like that, and the Netflix series, um, you have everyone's in Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen is like three square blocks. It's not, it's not a big area. That's why Detective Mahoney's at everything. It's his area, so... If you don't have Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, it just makes the world feel too small. It makes her world feel too small, which is one of my gripes with like Daredevil season two was they didn't have enough of the rest of the guys that are in Hell's Kitchen. I mean, you can't go very far without hearing about these other people. Well, well, well also with Luke Cage, they already did say that it wasn't going to be confined to just Hell's Kitchen, so it's going to be more places. So, but I think it'd be you know if they are there, it would make sense for them to interact with each other. And they need to at some point if we're going to get that Defender series. Right. They all need to meet up before the series starts. Yeah. And um, as far as the crossovers go, I feel like the first, especially Daredevil was the testing ground to see whether or not this was going to work. And then Jessica Jones was, okay, we've made something super dark and super gritty. Let's go even darker and see if that works. <laughs> and now that they know that, like, I don't think you could make a, a Luke Cage or a Iron Fist show that goes much darker than Jessica Jones, now that they know that they can pull this off, now I think they can start to, you know, really start to interact and do some more crossovers and everything, but for me, it will also be a lot of show-don't-tell, which is very, very important when it comes to storytelling. Um, you want to 
Uh, how many people have actually watched all of Daredevil season two? Yeah. Wow. So, so there's a lot of um, subtle hints. There's the reason why Claire is working the shift she is at the hospital. Little things like that. I don't need somebody going, hey, I just saw this chick go and punch someone's car. That was really awesome. Like, <laughs> you need to you know, have them interact, but also don't be obnoxious about it. For sure. Audience questions. So if anybody has a question, um, raise your hand and shout or comments, concerns. Yes. Just on the presence of uh, bringing the shows together, you mentioned that there wasn't very much in Daredevil Season 2 where they mentioned Jessica Jones, but I do remember one specific one other than Claire's storyline where Marcy and Foggy are sitting in a bar. I was trying to be spoiler-free as possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, Marcy says something to mention to oh, yeah. I thought that was really nice. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly oh, yeah. what I'm looking for. That's what I want. And I, I, I love this that. came up again in the Defenders panel yesterday, was uh, it almost feels like Marvel is trying a little too hard right now to keep their TV and their cinematic universes separate, but subtlety is key. You know, the whole fact, the fact that Daredevil Season 1 was based entirely on rebuilding New York because, you know, of what happened in Avengers. That kind of stuff is the stuff that I want to see in not just the Netflix series, but I also want to see it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, that was a really cool arc in Jessica Jones, too, where she gets hired by this woman who is who says that her husband is cheating on her and would like Jessica to tail him, when it turns out they are trying to yes. corner Jessica because of the attack on New York. Exactly. That's um, what I want. Yeah. More of that. Yeah, well, Sorry, go ahead. No, one, one thing, uh, speaking of, like, just... Uh, Crossing the shows over a little bit more. Does this have to be Daredevil? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I would love to see a courtroom scene with Matt Murdock and Jerry Hogarth. Oh, yeah. I think oh, that would that be would the be greatest amazing. thing I have ever seen. And you can drag it out for six episodes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> can we also talk about how it's like making a Marvel universe? Can we talk about how scary Carrie Ann Moss was? Right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. One thing that I especially love about that show that sort of ties in with this is I'm another of those who doesn't like, or well, I like superhero shows and superhero movies, but they all feel so superficial to me. And I think what really connected in Jessica Jones and somewhat in Daredevil, I made the mistake of watching Daredevil after watching Jessica Jones, and it was sort of a letdown for me. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I know. Connected more with Jessica's story, but um, for me at least, it really was so powerful. But I love how he, um, Kilgrave wasn't purple. I love how they made it, like, it just they made it more realistic, more something that could happen almost. Uh, like they talk about the green creatures, you know, Hulk, whatever. They just mention it briefly in Jessica Jones. But I like that it's not so focused on the superhero-y stuff, but the everyday life and the realistic things. And that, for me at least, I like that so much better than just the brain candy of superhero shows for the most part. But that's, you know, that's obviously me. Um, everyone has I think it makes it feel a little more closed universe. I don't know if you guys are big fantasy readers, if you know the difference between closed universe fantasies and open universe fantasies. So like Harry Potter is a closed universe fantasy, that, you know, the muggles don't know that there's magic in the world. And so I think for me, the reason that appealed was because it kind of made it feel like it was a little bit more of an ex exclusive club that more people didn't know about. Um, the closed universe fantasies have always been really highly appealing to me, so. And, oh, I loved the. I just wanted to say that I loved the uh, the subtlety and regarding like what I was saying about Daredevil season two and that there not being enough of it was it's not the subtle aspects because there was a lot of the subtle aspects in Daredevil season one and kind of bleed over to season two where you see the the newspaper articles on the wall 
and stuff like that. And I love the subtlety. What I want to see more of is the actual crossing over because, again, if you're in a three-square block radius, you're not going to not hear about somebody throwing somebody through a window. Or a bar blowing up. Which or is a bar blowing up and not actually run into those people at some point. Yeah. Just even crossing on the street, you're likely, Daredevil or Matt Murdock is likely to run into either Luke Cage or Jessica or any yeah. of them, really. And they, they actually do kind of, uh, they do a little bit of that in the, uh, the I don't know if you guys saw, the, the digital Jessica Jones before the series came out where she's going to a hospital to collect child support from Turk, the guy that Daredevil beats up all the time. <laughs> that's Wait, what is this? And why do I not know about it? It was on Comicology yeah. for free. Um, I think it still is free. It's still it still is free. Comicsology. But, Comicsology. Comicsology. Yeah. yeah, and it's just you know, Turk's all laid up in the hospital because he just got beat up. <laughs> and she say she says something like, "Who did this to you?" And he's like, "Oh, it was the devil." And she's like, "I think I like this guy." And that, that was it. But it was it that was kind of like those subtle crossing over. You had a question. So our question is, do you think it'd be possible to put one of the characters in the show? Can I take this one? Yeah. I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked about this at length so many times, but I, this is just, because, you know, Infinity War especially is going to be a logistical nightmare. I feel so bad for the Russo brothers. I'm really glad there's two of them. Otherwise, I don't think we would ever see that movie. But um, Infinity War very obviously is going to be space battle. And then, you know, we have all the Avengers out fighting space, you know, punching Thanos in the face and all that stuff. And then we can have go into Earth and zoom in, and then there's Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen with Jessica and Matt and Danny and Luke and maybe Trish and, you know, maybe even Frank Castle or Elektra or whatever, and they're just fighting cronies, and then it zooms back out and then it zooms back in, and then we have, you know, Daisy's Secret Warriors and, and Humans and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then we zoom back out, and then we're back in Infinity War, and it was like a five-minute scene. Now we've got everybody in the same movie. Done. Can I... I think the easiest way is everyone needs a lawyer. <laughs> everyone does. Tony Stark needs a lawyer. They blow up a lot of things. <laughs> that is the easiest Well, You know, I know a couple guys. Done. Well, and also, um, Jessica and Luke both act as bodyguards for Matt Murdock. Yes. Mm -hmm. so. Some of my favorite scenes in those mm -hmm. with uh, those two. Oh, and there's a scene where Black Widow shows up, too. And they're yeah. like, do you think yeah, that was, was Black Widow? And nah. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> I was just uh, actually telling someone about that earlier. That's one of my, my favorite uh, scenes from the from the Alias comic was when Luke and Jessica are like, okay, so Daredevil gets, uh, Matt Murdock gets outed as Daredevil. So he has to hire bodyguards because he knows people are going to come after him, but he can't really do anything because he's denying it, so he hires Luke and Jessica. But there's a, a an exchange right after Black Widow like walks through between Luke and Jessica where Jessica, you know, she kind of likes him, but she's, you know, not pursuing it, and she said, you know, so who was that, who was that girl that was at your apartment last night? And he said, are you my girlfriend? She said, no. Do you want to be my girlfriend? <laughs> no. He's like, well, it's none of your business. <laughs> but that, that, that exchange, I could easily see happening between the, in the Netflix, in the Netflix universe, and I think it would be great. You got a question. Yeah. So, I think one of the things for me, Special was it targeted a different market? And I think he got to do that because it had Kilray. He's not there anymore. So what's next for Jessica Jones? What can we do to keep it so compelling? Or is there a risk of that? 
David Tennant has hinted that he might come back. Nobody dies in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Nobody dies in comic books. Just <laughs> um, that is a really good... That, that is the question, isn't it? Because that was the end of the alias comic books, was, you know, Kilgrave um, returns and then she defeats him, and that's that. And then there is no more alias. So it is kind of an open world for them to kind of explore. And it does, you know, leave the option for, like in Jessica Jones Season 2, more the possibility of more Luke Cage, like more Luke Cage and Jessica. But well, yeah, it's something that I worry about a little bit because her motivation, the most important thing as a storyteller when you're setting up your main characters, you're looking at their motivation. What is driving them to do what they do in the plot? And uh, Kilgrave is such a powerful motivation for Jessica. Without him, I'm not quite sure who she is, but to be honest, as somebody who came to the Marvel Universe through Jessica Jones, I'm willing to spend that time to see where she's going next because I'm so invested in her character. So I think that's a good thing. I think you're right, 100% right. It's brought a different audience to the Marvel Universe, but I also think that that audience is now invested in where they're going next with the story. And I trust the creator of the show, like just the things I've read from her and how she handled this one, I trust that she's going to come up with a really great storyline. Well, and so I'm not worried at all. Um, I think to say that you need Kilgrave is to discredit the character of Jessica. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she doesn't. At the beginning, I agree. I agree that at the beginning of the show, especially, we needed that catalyst. She needed something to kind of piece herself back together. Um, but at the end of it, she evolved. She's she's no longer the person that she was. And so, what do we have moving forward? We have Jessica. We have a very, very well-developed character, and as far as the villain, there's an entire organization that experimented her on her. You want to talk yeah. about like what yeah. her motivation is? Yeah. Going yeah. after the guys that made her this. Well, way. they hinted that yeah. at the end too, because yeah. Trish yeah. gets a hold of all those records, and yeah. right. so um, now she's got motivation. Yeah, that's that, that's what I was gonna say because you, they do, you know, leave those breadcrumbs for you for for the next season. Uh, but there's also there are other Jessica Jones stories out there from when she was in the Pulse where she kind of became an investigative reporter, but then even in the Alias comics, there are like the little um, off, like uh, off main story, just kind of little storylines, like where she goes to this, you know, rural town in Kentucky to help a mom find her, find her kid. So, because you, you could, there's enough story with the character that you can take that big overarching, you know, the experimentation and the chemicals and stuff and just pop those little stories in there to pull out the, up the entire series and I, yeah I don't they haven't let me down yet well and so. one thing to go along with that as well is Jessica I think it's in the earlier episode she talks about her greatest weakness um, as being that she cares she tries to be apathetic she tries to shove all these people away but when it comes down to it and someone needs help she always steps up and so I think there will be situations where maybe still in the future she doesn't want to help out, but she is pulled into it anyway because she's a good person no matter how crappy she acts or pretends to be on the outside. Cool. Can season two be Jessica just getting better? <laughs> <laughs> Can these things happen to Jessica Jones for a little while? <laughs> I mean, the season two one was so compelling because it showed a woman who was very, very broken. Yeah. And now I want to see that broken woman get better. And also I think too, like, Trish on her journey to being Hellcat. Yes, yeah. Hellcat, please. Thank yeah. you. Well, the thing is, is that a good story doesn't heal their characters. You just send them into other 
crack pits, you know, but they do get stronger. Yeah, but they do get stronger in oh, yeah, that yeah. arc. They she needs to evolve from being a victim to a survivor. Right now, I think yeah. she's, she's still in the victim mentality, and now she needs to go into the survivor mentality. I think I agree. I think she already is a survivor at this she point. She already has. Yeah, like, yeah. She took on Kilgrave and just the whole last scene where she says, I love you, and you know exactly what that means. She has overcome. Yeah, she's not talking to Kilgrave in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, green tree. Um, so, much like you guys were, uh, I love the show so much and I thought my wife would have trigger warnings and stuff. One of the greatest things about the show is the, the metaphor of the whole season, uh, whether it's the feminist stuff of the guy that masturbated to Patsy Walker, um, to the whole idea of Kilgrave and the classic abuser model. So, to continue on from the, the last question that, in this discussion, uh, what do you think of, what do you think the metaphor of season two could be? Um, I see it as maybe relationships have long tails, or maybe something like uh, The Incredibles, where Mr. Incredible catches that guy and the guy sues him, and it's like it's not this black and white of saving someone. I actually think that it's going to be one of those you're relieved something's over and you think life is gonna get better, but it doesn't, and how you cope with that, you're like, I beat this thing, my life is finally gonna be easy. And that frustration of having to just keep going, it doesn't end. I think it would be the exact opposite of that. Of course you do, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but no, I think it's gonna be more of the, the we've dealt with this. I, I can now help other people. It's gonna be rebuilding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the overall theme is going to be rebuilding and helping other people because before, I mean, she never did the superhero thing. It just didn't work for her, right? And, yeah. and that was mostly because when she tried, Kilgrave happened and she didn't really work for her. Well, now that's gone. Yeah. That that whole aspect is gone and she can keep moving forward. Patsy can move forward as well and become Hellcat. And can I pose a question to the panelists? Mm -hmm. Do we think we're going to see her ever take up the drill mentality? I, I was just there? about to say, do you oh, think it'll go backwards so. from the comics? Like she will start out as a PI and then become an Avenger? I don't think so. No, I hope not. <laughs> I, so. I, I like the realistic setting of this world. And I just, for me, I don't want it to become another Avenger. I want it to be its own thing. Um, and that very well might be just my taste because I feel like the superhero movies and the Jessica Jones type are two totally different things, and they don't, at least for me, don't mesh completely without having some cognitive dissonance. Yeah, one, that was one of my favorite things was when uh, they do the flashback and Trish made her the jewel. Yeah. 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 She's like, you could wear this. She's like, I'm not wearing that. Such <laughs> I'm not fighting crime with a stripper name. Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think guys will ever understand how important it is for women to find a costume that is comfortable to wear, <laughs> especially in the superhero genre. <laughs> I was actually really happy to see that Jessica was not concerned about this at all. It was really nice and really refreshing to say that, even though there were a couple times she woke up and I'm like, wow, she's wearing eyeshadow and lipstick, thank you. It's like the um, last couple of episodes, she doesn't shower. Yeah, she doesn't sleep and she doesn't shower. Exactly. And she only has one kind of wardrobe. She has black and she has jeans. jeans yeah. And I love that that shows a lot about her to be the 
society's pretty girl. Did she ever, though? I don't think she gave it up because I don't think she was ever that way. That's true. Um, But I think just for her personality, she always has the same, like, tank top and pants and things that she can just throw on. She just doesn't care. I don't think it's that she doesn't care necessarily. I think that she has other things that are more important. And I think to a certain extent, I'm going to pull out my feminism F word here. Um, Sorry. Hold on. Just hold on with me. Um, I think to a certain extent that the beauty standards hold us back as women. And so to see a woman on television who is wholly unconcerned not necessarily wholly unconcerned, but just more concerned with what's happening in her life and what she needs to do than the exterior, the way she appears on the outside, which is really refreshing to see. I think well, it, oh, sorry, I was just going to say really quick, I think it goes also with the smile. Oh, yeah, the smile. Oh. Oh. Never tell a woman to smile. smile. More than anything, it's being told to smile. Seriously, and the way they ended it, and the fact that, you know, he says smile, and then she kills him, it was so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so serious, I was like, Especially because, I mean, guys, just like recently, Hillary Clinton was told by a male reporter to smile, and it was incredibly offensive, so it was, I thought it was really on point. One thing I liked uh, talking about the the costumes and clothing and stuff with uh, Luke Cage, when he was in the bar fight, he gets stabbed, he's just like... (laughs) (laughs) We have time for one more question. You. So Malcolm, so there's Malcolm, Robin, and uh, the brother. Uh, oh, the brother, Simon. It's Reuben. Reuben and Robin. Yeah. So do you think? Do you think that they'll have a continue to have part in season two? So I really hope that Malcolm continues on in season two because he is such a great character in the comic. And my favorite scene in the TV show is the very last shot where Malcolm's answering the phone for Alias Investigations because it was look like looking right at the comic book. Like, I started crying. Oh, I was like, this is exactly just like the comic book. That is everything that it is. In the comic, doesn't she, like, fire him, like, six times? You don't and, he's a, and he's a teenager, and he, like, keeps breaking into her office, and she's like, what are you doing? Get out! <laughs> well, yeah, I think they were especially setting it up for him to be, like, the assistant. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out to this panel. Please check out Alias. I- Now that you've exited the Nerd Dome, head on over to PodHell.com and download all of the latest episodes from all the podcasts on the PodHell Network. That's PodHell.com. If you'd like, you can head over to iTunes and subscribe to our iTunes to automatically be updated when our episodes drop. Again, that's PodHell.com, and we'll see you next week.